Good evening, Faith Builders Church. I'm so glad to be joining you on the midweek service here. Normally, you would have Pastor Paul with you, and I know you always enjoy him. I look forward to the midweek service so much, even though it's still not in gathering together, um, but just enjoying the Word of God online. I'm just going to let everyone take a minute to get online and share this conversation if you'd like to on whatever social media platform you're watching from. I, uh, am, I am looking forward to our conversation tonight. I'm not going to be real preachy because I just want to share my heart um, and what's going on in the world today in this moment, what's been happening the last six days in our nation amidst everything else that's been happening in our world. It almost feels like we're living in a sci-fi movie um, but, you know, as, as Christ followers and as believers in the Word, we know that God is always in control, even when things seem chaotic and out of control. We will always find Jesus um, in the master and in the ruler of that situation. So tonight's conversation is going to be talking about racism in the church, and I have been wanting to talk about this from the moment that everything happened days ago with the murder of George Floyd, and I honestly cannot even bring up that situation without um, having emotions still and, and tears brought to my, my eyes and my heart and just a sadness on the inside of me for so many reasons, which we'll, we'll talk about a lot of that tonight. As the pastor of Faith Builders Church, I, I know and I feel it's very important that my church hears from me. I want you to know where I stand in this moment and where I stand with the African-American community, but also where I stand with the body of Christ because I love all of them deeply. As a pastor and called by the Lord, my heart and passion is for people. And I'll share a little bit of my testimony tonight, but I've waited a little bit to get online and talk um, because I just felt like there's a lot going on online, and there's a lot of people sharing a lot of things, and I'm seeing some things as a Christian leader in the community that is breaking my heart and troubling my heart, not just from the sheep, I guess, from people who belong to a congregation, but I'm also deeply troubled of the spiritual leaders and the the division and the opposition against one another and accusations also that are flying against one another, whether they're true or not true. I just, I have a stance as a spiritual leader in the kingdom of God that my first responsibility as a pastor and as a shepherd that I've been trusted by the Lord to guide the sheep is to always, my first priority is to always make sure that the sheep are safe. And so tonight I want to talk a lot about our feelings and our emotions, and we all have them. I've noticed that online there's zero to ten and everywhere in between. And what I want to encourage believers in Christ, because that's where I have a voice to, and hopefully maybe others that are watching, is that we are very careful not to try to feel like I have to change someone's mind to see my point of view especially coming from the white community to the African-American community because emotions are real. You know, if you study the Word of God, God made us body, soul, and spirit. 
And so God gave us this soulish realm that is our emotions, it's our mind, it's, our, it's the seat of our affections, and, and God gave us our emotions, and they're real, and we should never deny how we feel. I think what we have to understand in this diversity of whatever it is, if it's from the African-American community versus the white, which it ultimately is not that, that is definitely what is the fruit on the tree. We know the root is much deeper than that as believers. But whether it is uh, in opposition against our races or in our economic status or whatever it is, as believers, we have to be very careful that I'm not taking my life experience, what I've experienced through my own emotions and my own experience, and expecting someone else to have that same feeling because of the experiences I lived in my life. Because there are African-American people who have had experiences of prejudice. And I'll share my own here in just a minute. And so we have to be very mindful and considered in this season and say, as a believer in the kingdom of Jesus, right, we need to be willing to open up our hearts in this moment and say, can I look a little deeper on the inside of me And can I move past all of this um, expression of frustration right now, this expression of anger that's happening in the world? And we know that this expression is, it is saying, hear me, I'm here, right? This expression and anger and, and demonstration and this looting and whatever we agree and don't disagree with, I'm not here to tit and tat tonight. I'm here to talk about the main issues And when you see such a large demonstration of emotions, we have to be careful that this is a group of people who are saying, see me, see me, I'm here, I'm not going away, everything's not done right right now, everything's done with these high emotions and anger and pent up frustration and we know that it's being um, promoted on other ends to just antagonize, antagonize what's going on right now. But we have to be very careful that I, as a white woman, cannot try to tell you as another person through your life experiences how you need to feel. Because every one of us have a different experience and how we feel. And every one of us have a different emotion in this morning and this evening. And I'm here to tell you that's okay. Now, as a shepherd, I'm going to talk from this soulish realm. I'm going to talk a little bit about me as a human and where I stand as just my human nature and my love and compassion. But I also want to, as a shepherd, I want to bring the sheep back together because I want to make sure that as the voice of the Spirit of God as a shepherd, that I'm not fueling, but I'm coming to you and I'm saying I understand, Uh, not fully, but I can empathize to some degree. And I also want you to know that I hear you, I hear the confusion, I hear the pain, and there has been accusations out there from many pulpits that the white preachers don't care, that the white preachers' prayers aren't enough. But I'm here to tell you, Faith Builders Church, my church, that this white pastor cares. I care. I care deeply. Because I'm not called to just a white race. I'm called to people as a pastor. And what's such a blessing about Faith Builders Church from the foundation in 1989, when my parents started the original Faith Builders Church in Beloit, Wisconsin, 
from the foundation of our church, it has always been a very diverse ministry. Uh, we've never had just one culture in our church. And as faith builders that stands in Phoenix, Arizona, we are not a one cultural church. Somebody shout amen. I believe that Faith Builders Church looks like heaven. I want it to look even more like heaven. I want thousands of people that are coming together that are all different from different races, different lifestyles, and different places because that's the church of Jesus Christ. I want to share a little bit about how I grew up when I was being raised. Uh, my parents were first-generation Christians, but even before they came to Christ, my parents said, we are going to make a stand in our home that prejudice is wrong, and it does exist in the world, and it is real, and, and my parents grew up in kind of that environment, but when they had their children in their home before even Jesus came in the middle of it, they sat us down as little kids. I mean, I was little. I don't even know if I was just barely out of diapers. I knew how to say some words. And my parents said, we love black people. You know, maybe everything wasn't politically correct back then, but that's how I was raised. We love black people, and we don't say the N-word. And we don't allow um, jokes that are offensive to other races. I was raised in that environment. So I was taught culturally in my home, we love all people no matter what. Unfortunately, we live in a society and in a world that that's probably not being taught. And maybe it, some of it is, is naivety, just the white families not understanding that maybe that's a conversation that you should have with your children. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But having that conversation in your home really is the first place to start. Letting your children know that there's prejudice out there and there's people who look different than you. And they may dress different than you, but this is how we love them. And I believe, honestly, if it will start in the homes in this conversation, then it can go into our communities and it can go into the world. I think the biggest influence that we have in our cities, especially, is the local churches. And my cry and my heart as a pastor in this city and it has been for many years, but it's even more ignited in what's been happening in this diversity of leadership in the Christian community. My passion for Phoenix, Arizona, and the surrounding cities is to bring the pastors together in unity. And we may not agree on every little thing, but the one thing we do is we love our city, we love our people, we want revival in this city, and I believe if the pastors in this valley could link our arms together and show our people that we're in unity, to show our people that white and black and Asian and African and whatever nationality, Hispanics, Asian, whatever it is, we're going to come together as spiritual leaders, I believe when the leaders of the church can come together, you can change a city. And if we start in our home and have this conversation with our children and with our families, but we also have the conversation in our church, I believe the strongest force in the world, I don't believe it, I know it, the strongest force in the world is the church of Jesus Christ. It is on the revelation that Jesus Christ is King and Lord, and it's on that rock, that revelation that Peter had, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the rock, the cornerstone of the church. 
Red, yellow, black, and white, the church. And I am calling the churches together in this season. I've already been talking to pastors. I want to encourage my church family. I'm talking to my friends. I'm talking to my biracial uh, couples that are pastors. I'm talking to African-American pastors. I'm talking to pastors in the valley. And we're going to come together. And we're going to have conversations. My prayer is to have a, a pastor's rally to pray for our city for unity and prayer. Let's get all together in one church and let's pray for our city for revival, amen? The church is strong, and if we come together, we can break the forces of hell because the Bible says that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, this spirit of racism and prejudice that has stuck its ugly neck up right now cannot stop the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's gonna be my aim. That's gonna be my voice I have it burning within my soul to bring the unity of the churches together in our city, and I believe that we're going to see that happen. So I just want you to know, faith builders, I care. Your pastoral elder team, they care, and our church cares. I want to read this quote that I found um, from Martin Luther King. We know there's hundreds that he said, but this is the one that I want to share tonight, and it is this. Martin Luther King said, the ultimate tragedy is not the oppression and the cruelty by the bad people, but the silent over that by the good people. So I feel like as a white pastor in this community, I want to have a voice and I don't want to be silent in this hour. I don't want to be silent. I want to stand up for the cause of people that are hurting, the senseless murders of a race of prejudice, and I want to be a voice of love and compassion to say, what can I do? What is my part? And instead of being critical towards me, I'm asking pastors to say, what can I do to help you? And I'm going to show you some things tonight. I'm going to show you some ways that we can help, but I'm also going to bring you back to the word of Jesus Christ, because that is my responsibility as a shepherd. I don't want to fuel you to run off a cliff of destruction. I want to bring you back. I want to tell you I love you. I care. I hurt. And I want to hear. Amen? And then I'm going to bring us back to the word of God, and I'm going to counsel you through the power of God's word that we can win this battle not overnight, but we can beat the demonic influences that is happening right now. Amen? So there's so much I want to say, <laughs> and I'm asking the Lord, how can I funnel it into one night together uh, as a church? But I'll just share the basics of my heart. So I've been listening to a lot of preachers online to get a lot of information. I think the cry has been, uh, the white pastor needs to understand, and so... I've been looking in the natural. I've been listening to T.D. Jakes, who has some incredible information out there. Obviously, a strong leader in the African-American community. Listen to some of his videos he's been posting. He's very raw. He's very real. And I agree 100% with the things that he is sharing. And so also with that, I've been seeking the Holy Spirit myself and how I feel and, and what I'm facing in this moment, you know, as a person. And so there's been all these reins of emotions, and so 
I want to share with you where I come from. Go back a little bit. I was raised in that Christian family that we were intentional about talking about prejudice, intentional about addressing that we love every culture. And so because of that, I grew up around loving all people all the time. I never looked at someone different than me. And so when my dad started his churches, I was around diversity growing up even in the ministry. I had all nationalities around me. And I'm about to say something that I know now uh, frustrates the African-American community, but I'll share my heart and why I say it. When I was growing up in the church, I didn't see color. And what I mean about that, it wasn't that I wasn't... Uh, I didn't see, you know, I knew they were black or whatever, Asians, different nationalities, but I didn't look at them different from me. I didn't see color. Not that I didn't appreciate. Now that I'm older and things are more talked about and people are being more bold to stand up about how they might feel about that kind of statement, I can be more understanding and go, that's probably not a sensitive way of saying something. But I'm just sharing it with you so that you understand where I'm coming from as I was being raised around a lot of diversity. I didn't see color. All my friends are my friends. And so as I got older, I never had a problem with prejudice. And not only that, I would get irate when I would see somebody having injustice. This is what I was raised with. And so now that this has unha- unfolded in this time, you know, with George Floyd being senselessly and carelessly and heartlessly murdered in front of all of us, I'm beginning to look from a different perspective from the way I was raised. And... Even though I saw equality and I saw that my black friends were just like me, I never saw them different, I went home to my house thinking that they lived the same experiences I lived and never understanding really the experiences they lived when they went home. Not understanding the fear of being pulled over at night as a black person ending up in someone's driveway maybe as a delivery person, sitting as a delivery, in a delivery truck, going to a stranger's house could be misinterpreted if you're not a white person. I'd, and so because of that, I had this wrong funnel of not really understanding the prejudices that the African-American community has faced. Now listen, the riots that we're facing today is not the first time this has happened in America. It happened many years ago. It's happened in generations prior. We'll actually go through the word. It happened in Bible days. There was prejudice all the way back in Bible days, but we're speaking and talking in this moment. And so it wasn't until about nine years ago, uh, and again, I love all cultures. Faith Builders has over 40 different nationalities, I believe, in our church. It's incredible. It's beautiful. It's an honor to pastor such a diverse church. But it wasn't until nine years ago when I had my goddaughter move in with me and her mother, and my goddaughter's African-American, and her mother is half black and Asian. And until they moved in with me and I began to go certain places with them, I never fully understood prejudice until I experienced it with them. I could have a heart for it. I could be empathetic. I could feel bad. Like, I would never want my brother or sister that's a different race than me, to be mistreated. I would hate that, and I would fight for them, but I would never understand. I heard T.D. Jake said this quote today. I was actually watching a video, and he said, people who don't understand this level of 
frustration that the African-American community is facing, the anger, the hurt, the pain, whether we like it or don't like it. If you don't understand it, then you probably have not been victimized by it. And that is so the truth. Because it wasn't until I took my goddaughter up north, she was probably six, and I had her mom with me, and we went up to a city up north, I won't mention the city, but to a 4th of July event, and walked into Walgreens, and the dirty looks and the disdain that I got walking around with my little goddaughter, it just broke my heart. And I was so angry. And I didn't want to, my instinct was to go off on this woman with so much rage and anger the way that she was treating my goddaughter. But I didn't want her at six years old to experience that kind of pain. So I immediately just, obviously, I threw a very dirty look at the woman. Had I not been a pastor, the middle finger probably would have came out because I was so angry. But I took my goddaughter and I loaded her up in the car, and she never knew what happened in that moment. But I had them in my home for nine years, and they're still in my life. And I have experienced places that we cannot go because of it, areas of town that's not comfortable to move in because of it. So it's very real, and it's very real to my heart, and I understand that. And I want to speak to that kind of pain today, that as the church, I understand and I love you. I have this quote here tonight. It says this, until we fix our hearts individually, let's look at our hearts and address it in our homes, nothing changes in the world. So we have to fix our hearts as believers. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, it says this, when one part suffers, every part suffers with it, especially when we don't understand or we can't relate. We have to learn to sympathize. And so I'm asking the church, and not just faith builders, because I believe our church is gracious and we understand, but the church, we may not understand the pain that they're going through because we have not been there. We haven't experienced, thank God you haven't had to go through that, right? Thank God you haven't experienced that kind of pain. But as the church, we need to be understanding when one hurts, we all hurt together. When one is crying, I'm going to cry with you, amen? I'm going to bring understanding and love and compassion to the situation. I heard this quote from a movie that's out right now. It's a true story called Seaberg. I haven't seen it yet, but I I heard a quote from it, and it's a true story about a white actress, um, Miss Seaberg, that had a heart for the African-American community. She was very wealthy, and she was reaching out to the um, Black Panthers, And the leader, she became in a relationship with the leader. And she asked him this question. She said, how are we going to change this? You know, how are we going to change this prejudice in the world? And his quote to her was, one person at a time. So listen, this rioting and this demonstration and having this voice is, there's nothing wrong with it. uh, Beside the looting and the danger that's taking place, obviously, that's kind of common sense. But this will all wane away, right? This will all quiet down. But when this is done, right, when it begins to get quiet, where are we going to be as the church? 
what is going to be our aim, right? We have to have a heart, and I'm going to give us some ways to do that tonight, for the different kind of people in the world. And right now, it is on the African-American race, right? That needs to be our heart and our love. Make a phone call to someone of a different race. Tell them you love them. Tell them you care. Ease their heart. I've been on the phone a few times this week with people in our own church, and I just let them talk to me, and I let them voice their pain, and I I, I hear with compassion, and then I tell them, yes, I hate it too, and it's wrong, and I hate that it's happening. Let's pray together. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about how God fights the battle for us. Let's talk about the power of prayer, which does work in a situation like this, right? It does work, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we need to engage in this level. Let's bring an awareness that maybe there's somebody different in my world that may not look like me, or live my life, but in Jesus, I don't care. I'm going to step into their world, and I'm going to love them unconditionally. I'm going to hear them, and I'm going to cry with them. Why? Because that is a picture of the church. That is a picture of Jesus. If you look at Jesus, when he was here on earth, he went into the temple, right, to declare and and preach the, the word, or he would preach the word or the law to those that were listening, but he went out into the highways and byways, and he went to people that were not loved. He went to people that other people hated. When Jesus was on his way to perform a miracle, he heard a call from a Samaritan woman's broken heart that the Samaritans were worthless. They were nothing in the eyes of the Jews. The Samaritans were worthless in the eyes of the Jew, but Jesus who is the example of the kingdom here on earth, said, I'm going to stop where I'm expected to go and I'm going to go to Samaria because there's a woman that has worthlessness written all, all over her, a woman that nobody wanted, that in a sense was prejudiced against. They didn't like the Samaritans. That was prejudice in the Bible days. But Jesus said, I don't care. And when he showed up to the Samaritan woman, she said, what do the Jews have to do with us? I didn't think we got along. But Jesus had another purpose in mind. He was going to take this woman that in society said was worthless and nothing, and he stopped for a minute to love on her and give her living water and cleanse her of her sins and give her hope again. And that woman who was worthless because Jesus, the king, all man and all flesh, said, I'm going to go to somebody that seems less than me because I see God in them. And because he reached out to somebody who in society did not measure up to a standard, that woman shook her whole city for Jesus. I believe God is calling us as Christians to come to those who feel beneath right now. Listen, if that was my family member under the knee of that murderer, I don't even imagine what I would, have, what I would be doing. I'm pretty sure I'd be sitting in a jail cell somewhere because nobody's going to touch somebody I love, let alone when I'm standing here tonight, not just as a pastor, but as a human, that when I watched that video, I was devastated. 
on so many levels as a human. Forget me being a pastor and having compassion, but as a human and the rage that I felt towards that horrible man. The rage that I felt in that moment, I felt out of control, and I I didn't know, there was nothing I could do because it had already happened. And I I sat and thought to myself, what would have I done if I was on the streets at that moment, and that was taking place? What would have I done as a human? Might be easy for me to sit back and say, I'd have ran at that man and tackled him. I kind of believe I would have. I don't know. I know we're all fearful, even me being a white person running towards police officers with that spirit on them, that murderous spirit. What would have happened to me? But I know one thing I would have done. I'd have laid prostrate, crying out to God, begging, begging for that man, begging in the name of Jesus to let him go. That was my first response. And I have no outlet because there's, there's no answer. There's no resolve. I can't fix that. And I feel so angry about that. And I know there's so many other people who feel so angry about that. And we don't have the answer. There's not one answer right now except Jesus. And that's not to sweep the truth under the carpet. That's not to say this isn't reality. But the only hope we have right now to bring our hearts and our souls back to the other part that God created us is our spirit on the inside of us. And that is Jesus. But on the other side of me, I thought if that had been my family member, what would I have done? And it wasn't my family member. But when one suffers, we all suffer. So that means I'm asking myself as a pastor, we're asking ourselves as as faith builders, what can we do to help, amen, and be sensitive to what's going on in this time and in this season? Some things that I am rejoicing with today is there have been arrests made. Thank you, Jesus. The, the other three that were a partakers of this have finally been arrested, and I am rejoicing with the Lord. You know, if you look at history, Jesus laid his life down for the church. I know there's probably more, but Martin Luther King laid his life down for the civil rights movement and nudge this nation just a little bit further in equality and dealing with injustice. And I look at George Floyd, and I look at God saying, this nation's not going to get away with it. That's a good thing. And it's horrible at the cost of a man losing his life in such a tragic way. But for a nation to take notice, actually the world is taking notice. And so George's life, we pray, will not be in vain, but it will raise an awareness and move this nation forward. And I'm calling not just the nation, because I can't change the world, but we can move our church and we can move our city in a better, healthy direction if we will come together instead of fighting about what we don't like, but coming together in what we do agree on. Amen. We're taking a step in a little direction. These arrests are a little direction. They're babies. They're just tiny little steps. But you know what? It's a step. Thank you, Jesus. I want to share with you tonight, and then I'm going to talk about some things that we can do in the natural. But in Luke chapter 10, and we know the story, 
and I'm going to share the story of this parable. And we know this parable tonight, but I believe it's where God wants the church to look at and to feel empathy for today. And this is on every issue and how we feel somebody is beneath us. This is how God wants the church to respond. But in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says this, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So this religious lawyer read the law. He said, Well, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And that sounds really good, doesn't it? It sounds like that's the way Christ wants us to love here on earth. But in verse 28, it says this, And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. And verse 29, But he said, wanting to justify himself. What does that mean? And said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In other words, he wants to catch Jesus. Well, I mean, who is it that I have to love? Is it the person that's right next door? He wants to justify who he thinks he can love. Why? Because he doesn't think he has to love everyone. Because remember, they they were prejudiced against the Gentiles, the Samaritans. The Jews were so much better then, right? The lawyer, he was educated. Then Jesus answered and said, he gave a parable. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came Listen to this. A certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So what do we see here? A broken man, beaten, stripped. All these have taken everything, left for dead on the side of the road. A priest comes by, could care less to look at that brokenness. Why? Because he didn't have to relate to it. He didn't have to give of himself. So he crossed the street, walked on the other side. The second person was a Levite. The Levite walked up to the broken man, stripped. Now, Levites were the tribe in the original uh, days. Their responsibility was to take care of the tabernacle in the wilderness. They were the ones that set up the temple. They were the ones that guarded the temple. Listen, the church looked at the broken man crossed the road and walked on by because they didn't feel they needed to help. But look what Jesus says. He's talking about loving people. God is calling us to love people where they're broken, where they're hurt. How can I take someone right now that's hurting, broken, angry, and me as a believer give them everything they need to restore their hope and joy back to God and to the world? And it says in verse 32, Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked. He looked at him and passed by on the other side. Verse 33, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. A certain Samaritan, remember the Samaritans were nothing. As he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. 
what is God, what is Jesus looking for in this moment, right? The, the lawyer wanted the practical way, the theoretical way of loving someone. And Jesus is saying, no, I don't want you to love with what you think. I want you now to love with demonstration. I want you to show them you love them. We as the church have to have compassion in this season for every broken person, for every person that feels rejected, every person that feels like they have an orphan's heart and don't belong, every African-American that feels like they have been an outcast in this moment. These are very real feelings. Even Jesus, if you study the word of God, had injustice. We have to remember that Jesus said he took everything on the cross that we would experience here on earth. He understood the injustice of a dad who didn't show up when he wanted him to show up. God turned his back on his own son when he saw sin sitting upon his life. He understood what it meant to not have a father. He understood what it meant to do the will of the Father, even though he looked like God betrayed him in the end. Jesus understood injustice. He was falsely accused. He was hung on a cross that he didn't deserve. That was injustice. We have to remember that Jesus knows what we went through, and we have to say the cross wasn't just for salvation. It wasn't just for eternity. It is for every injustice that people feel in this moment, and I'm talking from the heart of a pastor. I know I've been talking from a person and a pastor the whole night, but I can't help but hit this area. Jesus knew what it meant to have injustice. He died for injustice. The price was paid for injustice, and the world may not have the answer. There are thousands of people who are angry and don't have the truth, but the church, listen, you have the truth. We have the blood of Jesus. You have the hope of the cross. It's time to get out of those emotions and step into Jesus. Let's find that anchor of our soul because when you remember Jesus and the word of God, you'll begin to see the things that need to be handled in the natural through the eyes of the spirit. But if we keep just fighting a natural battle, we're going to lose because this is not just a natural battle. We need to do things. We need to make a stand. You need to contact the, the delegated authorities in the city. Yes, do those things. Find the healthy marches. Be safe about it. Do those things. But as a believer, that is not our only action. We're going to do all we can do to stand and then we're going to rise up as God's kids. Amen. You're going to take that God-given right from the cross and say the world may not have justice, but I have justice through the blood of the Lamb, through the cross of Jesus Christ. I am not identified by my color. I am identify that I am a son and a daughter of the king. Listen, that's the first but that's the first thing we do. Stir up yourselves in Jesus Christ. Get the spirit of the living God rising up inside of you as a believer. And then we can put into action the things that we should be doing in our communities. Have the conversations we need to be having. But listen, church, we are first born with the spirit of the living God. Amen. And that's with whatever tragedy we are facing in this world. Children that are abused. Women that are beaten, right? All these horrible 
horrible injustices that are happening in the world, we still need to come back to the word of God, which is our hope, which is full of power, which is full of authority, and it has action power behind it. I'm going to close with this tonight. And I want to talk about some natural things. And I, I hear my, my pastor friends, I hear them saying, you know, prayer, it isn't just about prayer anymore. And prayer isn't enough. And I understand the context from where that is being said. And I get it. Listen, we don't need one more hashtag online, right? We don't need one more post. We don't need one more I'm praying for you. But if we say that prayer is not enough as the church, then we have forgotten our God-given power and authority that what really happens in the spiritual realm, if we can change it there, we can break that spirit in the natural realm. Amen? So I'm going to talk about some things tonight. And hear my heart. Hear my heart. I'm sympathizing. And I'm going to do all. Listen, church, I promise. I'm doing everything I can to bring this topic up again, and we're going to talk about it. It's not going to fade away when this thing fades away. We're going to stay at this thing, and we're going to have a voice about this. But let's talk about some key things. Number one, what can we do? What can we do? I've had to research this all on my own, and these are some things that I found that I believe will work. Number one, have a conversation in your home. And I'm talking about African-American homes. Christians, have a conversation. Bring your children to Jesus. Talk to them about how Jesus was injustice, how Jesus was, wasn't treated right either. Have that conversation. Let them have the peace of the word of God. Amen? Have the conversation that there are evil people in the world. Not every people is good, but we're going to pray. We're going to love unconditionally, and we're going to forgive. We have to somehow get to that point. And then the other uh, families have conversations with your children about prejudice, and it's real, and what those other children feel like. Have that conversation in your home. That's where it begins. Have your children read stories about incredible African-American people that shaped our nation shaped our world. Have those stories read. Get the books from the libraries. Get them from online. Online, allow your children to have diversity of reading and understanding. Because if we can change this generation, we really can change the world. Amen? Our kids need to know we care. Our children need to know we, as adults, care. They don't need to see us fighting. They need to see us coming together arm in arm. Amen? I said this earlier. I believe it starts in our cities. The church is powerful. It starts in our cities, and I'm hoping to ignite that and, and be a part of that. Sign your petitions. Do the walks. Those are wonderful. Make a stand for what you believe in. Be safe, though. Be careful. I think things have calmed down enough for you to be involved with the marches, but be safe. But there's nothing wrong with that. Let your um, elected officials know. Let them know where you stand. We're going to let the church know. We're going to make our voice known. Amen? And we're going to speak up. We're going to write the letters that we need to write. This is wonderful. I'm so happy this is being unveiled in such a horrible tragedy. But God can turn good out of everything horrible. And he always does. Something I'm going to challenge us to do is make new friends. Look in your world of friendships. Is there diversity? 
You know, when was the last time you had an African-American family over at your home? When was the last time you had a white family over at your home where your children are playing together, swimming together? Make your circle full of diversity, amen, that you can understand and you can sympathize with other cultures when you come together. That's so important. And I want to say tonight, it is our problem. It is our problem. It is the church's problem. Amen. Out of my human dignity, this has become our problem. And my heart is to be a part of the solution. Amen. The last thing I want to close with is this. And I want to address that topic that says prayer isn't enough. Because that is a lie from the enemy. Prayer is everything. And there is power in prayer. And I'm not saying flippant prayers where we throw up little prayer emojis. I'm talking about if we will come together and really pray. There's a supernatural realm that we as believers tap into. And I want to close with this story. Corey Tambone, you know, you know the Jewish people. We know there's been genocide of the uh, Armenians. 1.5 million Armenians were killed in World War I. A complete genocide washed away that wasn't even talked about for generations and generations. And we know the Holocaust was 11 million people were killed in such travesty and disgrace and shame. And this woman, Corey Ten Boone, who was raised in a Christian home, whose dad taught her the power of God and the power of prayer. And this woman was taken away into a concentration camp. And as we know, they were stripped naked. They were sprayed with uh, some kind of disinfectant as they entered the concentration camps and raped, as they were waiting for placements, these women were brutally raped. And uh, Corey Tamboon had her, had her Bible. She had her Bible in her hand. And she said, God, will you please help me get my Bible through this concentration camp? Will you help me? Because I need my Bible, God. I need my Bible to make it through this. And do you know that that woman was stripped? She was sprayed. And she was sent into one of the, the camps. And she had her Bible in her hand the whole time. Why? Because she prayed to God. She didn't have to shout and scream. But listen, don't buy the lie that prayer is not going to work. Prayer is everything. It is the thing. And we do what we need to do, and we make a stand, and we will. But don't eliminate the authority. Thy kingdom come on earth as it already is done in heaven. Jesus said, pray this way. That was one of his prayers. That woman's Bible was protected by angels. She stepped into the supernatural realm because of the power of prayer. I'm going to tell you, prayer will shake hell. Prayer will curse this demonic spirit. Prayer will break this prejudiced spirit. And if we really come together in unity and aim at that spirit, prayer will crush the enemy's head. And if we begin to deal with the prejudice 
intimacy, then we have to deal with the root, which is what? The devil is ultimately after the church of God. The devil wants division and strife between everything right now, between even pastors. And if he succeeds, he will break down the church. But I'm going to tell you, it is the hour of the church. It is the hour of revival and the devil is mad. So we got to turn this thing over to a spiritual force, which is the Holy Spirit and begin to do what the word says. Whatsoever we bind on earth, it shall be bound in heaven. And we will begin to take authority and bind this spirit until we begin to see things changed. And I'm not just saying one prayer meeting, but coming together as a community, praying together over our city for revival, for unity, for harmony, and for one mission, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Listen, I love you all so much, and I know I was a little here and there because I had five, I mean, five directions I wanted to go. And listen, I pray God's grace over anything said that it was with the ears of the Spirit. Next week, I'll have some other pastors here. We're going to have some more conversations. We're going to talk. We're going to lead you right back to the Word. We're going to lead you right back to the promise of God, the presence of God. Why? Because, listen, we're crying out for liberty, right? We're crying out for liberty. What does the Word say? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where does true liberty come from? The Spirit of the Lord. Amen. And that's who we're going to cry out to as we, in the natural, link our hands, but in the Spirit, we're going to take it by force. I love you all so much. Thank you for tuning in tonight. I'm so happy we got to have this one-sided conversation. Hopefully you had a good conversation in the feed tonight, and we will have more, but let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you for everyone who has been watching this. Holy Spirit, I ask that you cover every person who is broken tonight, every person, Lord God, who is angry, Lord God, and, and what they're going through and what they're feeling and, and, Lord, seeing this devastation and these murders and this injustice, Father God, I just pray grace, grace over every house, every home, every child, everyone that's been affected by this tragedy. God, I cry out for your grace and your mercy, Lord God. I pray, Lord, that you comfort their hearts. Lord, knowing that I stand with them, I stand up for them, God. I will not be silent. I will not be quiet, Father God. I will be a voice for all people. I will be a voice for all nationalities. I will be a voice for the kingdom of God, Father God, because Jesus you laid your life down for the world, and I will be a voice for the world until you come back again, Father God. I just thank you for any, Lord, a simple way that you can touch them in this moment. Give them peace and comfort and joy. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. I love you all so much. God bless you, and have a wonderful evening. Oh, listen, really quick. Call the church if you want prayer. Call the church if you want a conversation. I'm happy to have that with you. I'm here. I'm an open book. I love you all so much. God bless you. We'll see you next time.